Only Three Lads is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast family, home to some of the best music podcasts on the planet. Visit PantheonPodcast.com to discover more. And if you like what we do on O3L, we kindly ask you to please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now. It really helps us more than you know. Even after 100 recordings, you'll wonder, is it live or is it only three lads? We are back. Welcome to another episode of the Only Three Lads podcast. Thank you for joining us once again. If it's your first time here, I'm Uncle Greg. And of course, we have been gone because of the Easter holiday, but we are now back today. We're going to yeah. be looking at the top five live classic alternative albums. I am joined by Brett Vargo and Bueno. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing? Hey, missed you guys. Yeah. What the heck? Glad we're back. Yep. Kind of glad we landed our spaceship back and on the ground again. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Well, we, we had to give Jesus his week. Yep. Yes. Kind of like NASCAR drivers. They take Easter yep. off and we had to do the same thing. Yes, there sir. you go. So, all right. So you guys ready this week, of course, again, looking at the top five live classic alternative albums. And I got to tell you guys, I kind of found myself that I'm not really good at buying live albums. I found myself going, hmm, the very first one that I thought of did make my list. And I thought it would be number one. But then as I started listening to some of my favorite artists and their live albums, that started moving down. And so yeah. I just I know you guys have probably got a great list with my list. Um, I just went with bands that I liked and I found stuff. And boy, I missed out on a lot of great live albums. What I've been doing for the past two weeks, laying down on my bed, putting on my headphones and pretending like I'm at the concert. That's pretty cool. I was surprised that my list was as robust as it was, because um, in general, I'm not a live album guy. I mean, I love the art of record production. I, I love the craft of the studio. But I mean, I, I think a well done live album can be an electrifying experience. I would agree. But this is what we were talking about a little bit earlier, is that not all live albums are live. They say live, but a lot of times they're recorded over a bunch of different concerts or sometimes they record one concert and they go into the studio and they fix little problems or little imperfections. So I would like to find a live albums that that's live has all the warts and all that. Just like if you're at the concert and I've found maybe one or two, I got four. We, we know there's a lot of sweetening. I mean, if you want the true artifact, there's, yeah. there's plenty of bootlegs. I also don't think of live albums as, as really being an alternative medium, right? I mean, a lot of my favorite live albums I, I would say are pretty mainstream, including uh, one that boy, you know, you and I talked about that we share our favorite wings over America. Yep. I would have put that on the list for sure. If, uh, we were talking about any other genre, but we don't talk about that yeah. genre right here and right now. So what about Paul McCartney? If he got a mohawk, then could he be on your list? Oh, sure. sure. Why not? <laughs> All right. Well, you guys ready to get going? <laughs> we are ready. Yeah. All right. So I think, Brett, you're first this week. Is that correct? I am. That is correct. All right. So for my number five, the name of this album is the name of this band is Talking Heads. This was the New York Legends' first live album, a two-LP set from 1982. So it predated the Stop Making Sense album by two and a half years, and to me at least, is a superior live document. So what I love about this record is that it shows the remarkable progression of the band over the course of just a little over three years. Side One perfectly captures the nervous energy of the original four-piece band in 1977, 
Side two shows the heads comfortably transitioning into a confident stage act. Which is a Sides three and four uh, spotlights an embellished 10 piece lineup on the Remain in Light tour, stretching out and letting the material breathe and pulsate as it should. All in all, it's a fantastic survey of their first four records. Whether you're into the stripped down art punk of the Head's early work, or the textured world music funk that would inform much of their later albums, well, fortunately you don't have to choose here because you get it all. So the name of this band is Talking Heads, and the rank of this album is number five. Great band. Awesome record. Indeed they are. It was in my top 10. All right, Bueno, what's your number five? My number five is a live album by an English new wave band called Duran Duran. You guys might have heard of them. Uh, it's called I Arena. Did. Never. Yep. Released on November 12, 1984 by Polyphone. Uh, 2004, this album was reissued on CD in remastered form with two uh, bonus tracks. And uh, this, this record is great. People haven't heard this thing. I mean, these guys sound just like amazing. And this was live. And uh, I enjoy this record totally. Um, this, this album actually managed to peak at number six in the UK and number four in the US. And the album was eventually reissued with uh, Girls on Film in Rio. Wild Boys was released in October of 1984. And the other single was uh, Save a Prayer, January 85. Arena would be the only full-length live Duran Duran release until the 2003 encore series of the official bootleg recordings from shows in Japan and the West Coast. Careless Memories, love that song, it's my favorite, love Simon's voice. So easy to disturb with a thought, with a whisper. This album peaked number one in Germany, sold over three million units worldwide. And that's my number five, Double D Arena. Cool. That's a big one. I saw them in concert a couple summers ago. They are incredible in concert. And of course, John Taylor, his bass playing. I always go on about that, but God, he's awesome. He's awesome. The whole band. All right. Well, here's my number five uh, for the top five live classic alternative albums. 10,000 Maniacs, MTV Unplugged. Now, this was released in 1993, and some 10,000 Maniac fans say this is their best album ever. And it uh, was so great that between recording the performance and its release, that's when lead singer Natalie Merchant left the band to go solo. You may remember her first album, Tiger Lily. It was huge on alternative radio back in the 90s. Uh, the album peaked at number 13, spent 45 weeks on the charts, sold 3 million units. Uh, of course, their cover of Because the Night became an alternative radio staple. Uh, that Bruce Springsteen song made famous by Patti Smith uh, just missed cracking the top 10 of the Hot 100. Tonight. 
I basically picked this album because I remember being a young DJ. If you were going to take a young lady out on a date and you had the CD in your car, you could play it. it made you seem a little more sensitive. At least that's what I used it for. But I did like a lot of the songs on it, and uh, that's why it's my number five, 10,000 Maniacs, MTV Unplugged. What was the song that she duetted with Michael Stipe on? I, I can't think of the name either. It wasn't Because of the Night, though, right? It was not. I know that. Because I remember playing this song over and over and over. We used to get a lot of requests. And a lot of people didn't know when you tell me, you know, Bruce Springsteen wrote this song. They didn't believe you. Because it was not released for many, many years. Right. Well, but Patti Smith, song. she did her cover, what, in, or she did her version in 78 her version in in 78 yeah, yeah. And, and bruce and patty wrote it together and uh, it was it was recorded for the darkness on the edge of town album for springsteen but uh, not released until the darkness box set you are a phd hey was that song to sir with love with michael stipe yeah to sir with love i knew it was a cover yeah, yeah the lulu song yeah thank you sure all right brett we're at your number four let's hear it all right my number four is uh somebody who's been familiar for my lists a few times elvis costello's live at the el mocambo originally released as a canadian promo and then officially released as part of elvis's two and a half years box set in 1993 this set finds elvis with his nascent band the attractions raw and electric at a toronto date in march 1978 right around the release of this year's model this album is absolutely ferocious the attractions breathe new life into the Miami's true tracks because as mentioned in episode nine they were not the backing band on that album and the songs from this year's model which they were on are played with additional speed and vigor as they feed off of a lively crowd that being said, I have to address the matter of the crowd. The only thing that prevents this album from being elevated a few notches on my list, and maybe even to number one, is the dang woo-hoo guy. This guy must have been sitting close enough to a mic so that every single woo-hoo is captured on tape. He was on top of it. Yeah. He was on top of it. Yeah. Every single woohoo. I'm not a violent guy, but I'd really like to punch this guy sick. <laughs> so if any of you have any information to lead to the apprehension of the woohoo guy, please reach out to O3L headquarters. But all that aside, this is the only full length live album Elvis released during the O3L era, and it is an essential listen if you are an Elvis fan. No, actually, I take that back. It's an essential listen if you are a human being. So, woohoo aside, that's my number four, Elvis Costello's Live at the El Mocambo. That's a great record. That was also in my top 10, too. 
So. I haven't heard that one. Oft bootlegged. I think you can see the guy on the DVD. If you, if you get a copy of the DVD, you can probably figure out who it is. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's the most violent I've ever heard Brett. He's like, I want to punch him until the white meat comes out. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Might be worth nine ninety nine to get that DVD. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bueno, what's your number four? All right, my number four is by an incredible musician. Uh, it's his first live official recording of any live music recorded uh, between July 10th and the 13th of 1974 and released on October 29th, 1974. And I'm talking about David Bowie, and it's called David Live. This masterpiece... 81 minutes and six seconds long uh, is a time frame masterpiece. I know people thousands of years from now will listen to this and know this is timeless. Look at Beethoven. This album was recorded in July of that year in the initial leg of Bowie's Diamond Dogs tour. And uh, the second leg was actually more of a soulful affair following recording sessions in Philadelphia. As for the bulk of the Young Americans uh, record, that would be renamed Philly Dogs as a reflection on the different live tracks, Cracked Actor from 2017. So uh, Bowie actually transitioning uh, from his Ziggy Stardust, Aladdin, same uh, glam rock era uh, in this career change to a plastic soul of, you know, Young Americans, and while the cover features a picture of Bowie in his latest Soul Threads baggy trouser suit, complete with shoulder pads and braces from October 1974, the music the music was recorded in July, and showcased uh, his two most recent studio albums of original material, Diamond Dogs and Aladdin Saint, as well as favorites from Ziggy Stardust and earlier. I mean, this 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 thing is incredible. People said that this record really stunk. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what you guys are listening to, but having Bowie on any live record for four sides on an al- album, uh, that's incredible for 80, 81 minutes. So, And this was Bowie's most ambitious uh, tour to date. Uh, actually, he sang using a radio microphone disguised as a telephone being raised and lowered above the stage by the cherry picker crane. Having informed on short notice that the concerts would be professionally recorded for official release, uh, Bowie's management intended to pay them a standard union fee of a mere $70 to record his stuff live. The band confronted Bowie an hour before the show and refused to take the stage unless they each got $5,000. Mick Jagger commented at this at the time of this album saying he thought Knock on Wood was awful. Jagger went on to say, if I got the kind of reviews that he got for that album, I would honestly never record again. (laughs) So uh, this is an incredible record. People need to hear this. Uh, Made number two in UK charts. And it was only, and his tour only visited North America. Uh, Knock on Wood was also released as a single reaching number 10. And that is my number four, David Bowie. David Live. A couple things there. You know, that Mick Jagger quote was interesting because uh, the Stones released Love You Live, which was um, very savaged by the critics. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yep. And then, too, I, I say this as somebody that owns about five different copies of David Live. Yep. I think I prefer Stage as an album. Yeah. Great album. 
but it is a good one. Yeah, I enjoy it. I'm just glad the band got their five grand each. <laughs> Instead of 70? Exactly. Well, yeah, it's a lot better. <laughs> yeah. We're up to my number four of the top five live classic alternative albums. Now, guys, I thought this was going to be my number one when the O3L randomizer picked this topic because I remember playing it over and over. It's Nirvana's MTV Unplugged. Yes, my five and four MTV Unplugged. This was done in 1993. Now, Nirvana was given a lot of credit for putting this together, the set list uh, for the Unplugged, because most other bands were kind of just playing their current tour set acoustically. But these guys did something completely different. And being the homer that I am, the Meat Puppets from Phoenix joined Nirvana on stage. Kurt Cobain often said the Meat Puppets were one of his favorite bands of all times. being on alternative radio on the edge here in Phoenix during the 90s. Uh, Plateau was played a lot. Also, Lake of Fire. I mean, we played those songs like crazy. Uh, And then, of course, this album regularly ends up on the greatest live albums list. And this is what kind of trips me out. Um, This album was recorded, I believe, it was November 18th, 1993. So this album will have been recorded 27 years ago, the age which we lost Kurt Cobain in November 2020. That's crazy. That's my number four, Nirvana awesome. TV Unplugged. I would have put money on that one that that would make your list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it'd be yep. my number one. Like I said, when this topic first came up, that was the first thing that popped in my head. I said, well, that's going to be on my list. And uh, But then it started slipping back as I started listening to more live albums. A lot of great covers on that one, too. Oh, absolutely. Between Bowie, the Meat Puppets, Lead Belly. I think uh, there might be a Vaseline's cover on there, too. There's a lot of great stuff on there. I just remember that album cool. sold like crazy. And it was kind of the bridge between Nevermind and then In Utero. And in when In Utero came out, I think some people were disappointed. The true fans weren't. Um, but it didn't, of course, have the impact that Nevermind had. But this definitely had the big impact also. So where's Pixies? On your list, Greg? Oh, well, it's coming up. You better believe it. Ah, see, I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, hey, now you know who's coming up for me, who's coming up for Brett, who's coming up for Bueno. Stick around. Right now, we have to take a break here on the Only Three Lads podcast. You're going to get some music news uh, and some other great stuff. Stick around. We're back in two and two. It is time for your Only Three Lads music news. A person claims they found an iconic piece of Blink-182 memorabilia in a junkyard. The person took to a Facebook group dedicated to the band to post photos of the band used in the rock show music video from 2001. The person who found it is planning to restore the band to its former glory. One of Radiohead's guitarists is promoting his new solo album. Ed O'Brien's Earth is out under the moniker EOB. He's already put out three singles from the LP. But I'll never smoke weed with Willie again. He said he stopped smoking marijuana back in December, but I uh, guess he forgot. Willie Nelson didn't let the coronavirus pandemic stop him from celebrating 420. He hosted a weed-themed variety show called Come and Toke It. It was four hours and 20 minutes of cannabis-centric entertainment. That is your Only Three Lads music news. 
changed since we got kicked out of high school. Well, where are you going? Going to Mr. McGree's class. Oh, well, I'm happy to see that some students still are interested in their studies. Hey, we're not students. We're the Ramones. Ramones? You're responsible for making that horrible rock and roll music? Welcome back to the Only Three Lads podcast, where we take a look at the golden age of alternative music from 1974 to 1999. I'm Uncle Greg. We have Brett Vargo. We have Bueno. We're back. Our list today, we're counting down our top five live classic alternative albums. And already, you guys have picked some good ones. Yeah, likewise. And of course, uh, we have... um, a Facebook page that if you would like to go and you would like to have your list of your top five live classic alternative albums, just go to Facebook. You just go into the little search section, put in only three lads and we're right there. And we had somebody who gave their list uh, for the top five albums that avoided the sophomore slump. Yeah. We love that our Facebook page is growing and we love all of the participation. We want to hear from you. So uh, listener, Jeff Pierce. Hello, Jeff. What's up, Jeff? Uh, He gave us his top five albums. Uh, that we covered in episode nine, the albums that beat the sophomore slump. His were number five, The Police Regatta de Blanc. Number four, great one, The Cure, 17 Seconds. Number three, Nirvana Nevermind. Number two, The Cult Love. And another great one at number one, Echo and the Bunnymen, Heaven Up Here. So thanks for the list, Jeff. Great list. Great list. So Brett, where where's your blur? <laughs> Where's your blur, Brad? Well, let's find out, because right now we're at our number three of the top five live classic alternative albums. And Brett, you are up. Is it blur? You guys don't know that I picked blur. No, at no. number three is not blur. I didn't For say it was number three. three. <laughs> For my number three, I picked an album that was recorded in London at the Rainbow Theater on New Year's Eve 1977. So what better way to cap off the year that punk broke than with a live set by the band who played a huge role in its rise? So that album is It's Alive by Ramones, released in 1979. So I ask you, is there any live experience more exhilarating than the Ramones ripping through their set list? In rapid fire succession, the band tears through one pogotastic punk classic after another, usually breaking in between to announce the title and shout one, two, three, four before launching into the next song. That was my best Joey Ramones song. I don't think there is. And if Joey was feeling particularly wordy, you'd get something like, After eating that chicken vindaloo, I want to be well. Twenty-eight tracks from the first three seminal albums, 53 minutes, two records, and four original Ramones, Joey, Johnny, Dee Dee, and Tommy, reminding us that punk rock was intended to be big, dumb fun, stripping back the bloated excesses of the 70s to return rock and roll to its simple roots. Loud, snotty, and all revved up and ready to go, I think you can make a case for It's Alive being the direct descendant of Jerry Lee Lewis's Live at the Star Club, or even the Beatles recordings also made at the Star Club. On one of the four brilliant covers on the album, they pose Bobby Freeman's musical question, do you want to dance? And the answer is a resounding yes. So, hey ho, let's go and put on the Ramones, It's Alive, my number three. Oh boy. Well, just to think, you know how Johnny and Joey, they did not get along at that time. If you know that song, KKK took my baby away. Uh-huh. That whole song was, they. Uh, Joey felt that Johnny stole well. his girlfriend. I don't know about the KKK connection. I, I don't either, but I just know that uh, that woman was with Johnny until his death, which was, I don't know, God, 
I Gwen probably knows this. Do you know it's when John passed away? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. about, about a decade ago. That's your number Plus, three. That's my number three. It's a great one. Thank you for picking the Ramones. Love the Ramones. You're up. All right. So my number three is called London 1986. Uh, I'm wondering if this is a crossover with Brett. It's a live album by the English group Talk Talk. So released in Europe by Pond Life Records on a compact disc in 1999. And it was recorded at the Hammersmith Odeon in London on May 8th, 1986, near the end of their European tour to promote their 1986 studio album, which I love, The Color of Spring. And this was the band's last uh, performance in the UK and their final live performance. And they went on to release two more studio albums in 1988 and 91. Promotional copies released in 1998 were just titled uh, Hammersmith. And the album itself uh, met with moderately positive reviews upon its release, but has never been reissued and is now is completely out of print. So if you can find this record, this is an incredible masterpiece. sound was moving away from the earlier pop phase, which with the performers are mostly drawn into the later experimental uh, music. Cover art itself uh, by longtime collaborating artist James Marsh was originally meant for a video documenting the same tour and stills from the concert film uh, directed by Noel Oliver are included in the album's linear notes, and uh, this record is incredible. Uh, There's also a DVD that was re-released in 2007 uh, about this tour. And uh, my favorite on that, as people probably know, if they know me, life is what you make of it. And that's pretty much how I live my life. And I never give up and I keep pushing for greatness. And I got to thank uh, John Cena of the WWE fame for giving me that never give up attitude. is my number three talk talk london 1986 that may be the first time that john cena and talk talk have ever been uh, <laughs> spoken in the same review oh heck yeah you kudos, know kudos for that uh-huh heck yeah why Brett, not my question is do you have that album that's hard to find i do have that album I but you know what i didn't even think about it when i was putting together my list wow for some reason i thought it had come out a little later than 99 but no nope. february oh, 19th so well, dang. Yeah, that's a great choice. Mm-hmm. I love it. Took them 13 years to get it out after they recorded it. So these things take time mm-hmm. to quote Morrissey. Why do you mm-hmm. guys think it takes time? Like, do you think that maybe it's the um, record label or the artist doesn't want to put it out or it's just kind of timing or they just figured, hey, we have this. Let's put it out. Yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of times it was not intended necessarily for release or sometimes it was. I mean, they record these shows, obviously, for for a purpose many times but they maybe don't think that it's the right time to release them. And then the record label many years down the line, as we've seen with the glut of archival releases, you know, this century 
I think, well, we have these tapes. Might as well put them out. Right? Yep. Yep. Just like that Squeeze uh, DVD that I'm on from the 1980 tour when they announced before the concert that they were filming it for, for the show and stuff. And yeah, I got a copy of that. And I can see myself in that for about uh, probably like seven or eight different times, just pogoing like a madman all over the place. Well, let's keep the list going. The top five live classic alternative albums. My number three, uh, I, I, this guy, this may shock you, but may, may not. I've often talked about how I love U2, their early career music, uh, Under a Blood Red Sky. This was the band's first live album recorded over a series of concerts in 1983 when they were per- out promoting the War Studio album. So it's from those concerts. And it's from very early in their career, which is when I was most connected to the band's music. Once I've, I've talked about this before, once they got into the Joshua Tree and stuff they got into in the mid 80s i think that it's great i'm glad people love it it just didn't connect with me i love the earlier stuff These live recordings was before they became super famous, so they were not phoning anything in. They were young, dumb, and full of energy, and uh, you can really hear the enthusiasm. They have Gloria on this album. I will follow Sunday Bloody Sunday. Like I told you, one of the very first bands watching MTV as a young child. Uh, I was not even a teenager yet, and when Sunday Bloody Sunday came on, and they were in that, you know, some of you in your head can probably picture the video on MTV. But Bono's standing there before his sunglasses face. I mean, he has cataracts. That's why he wears the sunglasses, not bagging on him. But this is when you could see his eyes. And he just is belting out that Sunday Bloody Sunday. And, you know, the Edge's guitar playing. And they're in that stadium. And that's what I hear when I hear yeah. this. And it's just awesome. I love it. Yeah. That's an iconic performance. Definitely. All right, Brett, we're at your number two. All right, so my number two is a band and album near and dear to my heart, The Jam and their album Dig the New Breed. So Jam fans have been spoiled this century with an embarrassment of live archival material, but back in the O3L era, we had two choices, Dig the New Breed, released shortly after the band's demise in December 1982, and its very belated companion disc, Live Jam, released in 1993. While the latter may arguably contain some of the stronger performances and amazingly no song overlap, it feels like exactly what it is, an afterthought that the record company put together of live tracks between 1979 and 1982. Dig the New Breed, on the other hand, while also compiling recordings throughout the band's career, feels more like a part of the Jam's canon. The last officially released Jam product before Paul Weller split and launched the Style Council in 1983. Pulling 14 songs from seven different shows and presented mostly in chronological order, you get a sense of the progression of the jam's fairly short career. It starts with a supercharged version of In the City from 1977 at the 100 Club, 
And from there, the crowds get larger and more adoring, singing along to every word of Start and Going Underground, and the band incorporates horns on stage for their final tours. One thing that's consistent in the five-year time span of these recordings is the incredible passion that these young men brought to the stage. So keep in mind that even at the latest recordings on this set, Weller was not even 24 years old, and Rick Buckler and Bruce Foxton were both 26. This album doesn't just focus on the hits, though. It contains energetic readings of fan favorites like Set the House Ablaze, Ghosts, and Private Hell. All the mod cons, check out my number two, Dig the New Breed by the Jam. Awesome. Another one that I had on my list too. The last two, you guys, we would have copied over each other again. That's okay. Yeah, my number means two. We're all hitting it out of the park. Yeah, but watch out though. I just spoke way too soon because my number two, uh, it's alive by the Ramones. Hey. Yeah. So the first live album, there you go, huh? (laughs) Titled after the 1974 horror film of the same name. This was recorded at Rainbow Theater in London, December 31st, 1977, and released in April of 79 as a 2LP set. Great record, like uh, Brett was saying. I mean, just amazing. 50, what, 58 minutes or something like that or whatever it is. This actually, this concert was also filmed and later, later uh, in a truncated form on DVD, It's Alive from 1974 to 1996. And in 2005, It's Alive was ranked number 279 in the uh, Rock Hard Magazine's book of the 500 greatest rock and metal albums of all time. So there is a good one to watch during this craziness. Uh, This album was certified gold in Argentina in 1993. And I was lucky enough to see the Ramones at the Hollywood Palladium. And uh, me and Brett McBee were there, and uh, we went into the mosh pit. And, uh, oh, my God, when, when we were done, I mean, we actually had to wring out our shirts. We were just soaking wet, but it was the greatest <laughs> time and something that he'd never experienced before and he'll never forget. So that's my number two, the Ramones. It's alive. Cool. Our second crossover ever I know. between you guys. David Bowie Heroes was uh, in 77 was the only one we've had so far. Yeah. Now, have I ever told you guys I met Joey Ramone? It was uh, St. Patrick's Day. And uh, uh, when I worked at the radio station, I remember when I first started working there, someone said, who would you love to meet? And just picking a name out of the year that I thought I would never, ever meet. I said, Joey Ramone. And then about four months later, I'm standing there with Joey Ramone, Johnny Ramone, Tommy Ramone. And then the guy who replaced Didi, I can't think of his name right now, but he was a good bass player too. They were playing at the Grind here in Phoenix that night. That's like the one picture that I have. And it was so weird because then after that, when people asked me, hey, who do you want to meet? And I said, Joey Ramone. Then I met him. I stopped taking pictures with people who I met. 
And now I'm upset about it because there's Why'd a lot of great that? people that I would have. Because I met who I said I wanted to meet, Joey Ramone. I'm a pain in the ass, by the way. No, so, I mean, on. it was just like one of those things. I know I, I, I should have, but there was a lot of times like I met Cheryl Crow and I met this person and that person. I met Cheryl Crow. Uh, yeah, I met Cheryl Crow and she was out uh, promoting Tuesday Night Music Club in the in 94. No. I mean, I was standing right there and we were talking. and Santa Monica Boulevard. All those great songs. Yeah, they um, didn't no. know what to do with her. So they broke her in alternative radio and then she went mainstream. But yeah, this was before anybody knew who she was. And they're like, I guess she sang back up for Michael Jackson or something. I don't know what the deal was, but she did. Yeah, she did. no, she did. But but no one knew who she was. She was this gorgeous, gorgeous woman uh, who walks in and she could play her guitar. And God, she was so cool. And like those are like, I wish I had that picture with her, but didn't get it. Uh, she showed up at our 20 year anniversary or 20 year reunion, high school reunion. Oh, really? Yeah. I can't remember who she I think it was might have been Diana Stickage or Vivian. One of those two brought her in. Oh, yeah. I couldn't keep my eyes off of her. I'm in love with her. Oh, yeah. Wow. I'd marry her in a second. Just in case you hear <laughs> this, Cheryl. <laughs> well, because, yep. you know, a lot of these artists, they are very, um, you know, they're, they're just uh, magnetic. And that's part of the reason why they're huge artists with their great singing. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into the recipe to make a great artist. And part of that is somebody who just has that magnetic personality. And she definitely has that. Oh, yeah, she does. Well, Greg, I was going to say that you were tired of, of showing all the stars up with your uh, photogenicness. Oh, God. If that's no. even a word. But when you mentioned Cheryl Crow, then I realized that that's not the case at all. Yeah, no, not <laughs> at all. Not at all. Sorry. <laughs> all right. No, I, I, I totally agree with you when you are, you know, when you hit it out of the park, Brett, you hit it out of the park. So yep. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Master Brett at it again. <laughs> all right. So my number two on the list of top five live classic alternative albums. Um, this album was recorded over two nights in Detroit in the summer of 1992. And the band was out promoting their Wish album. Any guesses? Well, yes. The Cure. There you go. The Cure. The cure. Oh. I know. Ding, yeah. ding, ding. You win the gumball. Yes. Brett, you got to shout it out. <laughs> uh, but yes, it was The Cure. Um, the set list for this album has a lot of their big hits, but it does leave you wanting more, which is kind of a good idea. You know, I would have loved to have heard Killing an Arab, which probably will, we will never hear played live again, just of the way the world is today. If you do want to hear that, The Cure, they have another live album, came out in 84, called Concert. That one, I like show better because it has more of their hits that came. The Concert one from 84, it just doesn't have as many of the songs that are most well known. But um, this album feels wonderful. I can't tell you for the past week or so, I'll turn on a fan because I live in Phoenix, it's always hot, and I want to be a little bit cold. And I just put on my headphones and I lay back on my bed and I pretend I'm in Detroit, summer of 1992, and I'm at the concert. And you can just listen to this and the band is firing on all cylinders. Get a chance, go to YouTube, go pick this album up. Once we go back to record stores, maybe they have curbside or you can order it online. But The Cure Show, that's my number two this week. And that I love this album. I can't get enough right now. I thought you said it was Wish. No, no, no. They were out promoting the Wish, Wish sure. but yeah, okay. the live recording album was Show. Sorry if I confused you, but I did, yeah, you did. a lot For of a second there. 
That was my fault. No, it wasn't. All right, so you guys, we're going to come back with our number ones here on this week of the Only Three Lads podcast of our top five live classic alternative albums. I'm excited to see what you guys have picked. I think you guys have already guessed mine. Um, but maybe I'm just, uh, I, you know, being consistent, I think, is is, is a good thing for success. So, uh, Oh, yeah. Or so, predictable. Whatever. Either way. There's a fine line. <laughs> I'll take either one of those labels. That's fine with me. I know. Me at all. I know. <laughs> I'm just glad to be here with you guys learning about new music. You know, that's all I can say. Same here, so man. stick around. We'll be back in just a few minutes here on the Only Three Lads podcast. <laughs> You're buckled up for a nonstop classic alternative thrill ride. Only three lads. If you're looking for musical ways to spend your quarantine time, Charlatan's lead singer Tim Burgess is hosting daily listening parties where artists new and old answer questions and share memories about their albums. Included will be records by Oasis, The Breeders, Bell and Sebastian, Teenage Fan Club, Heaven 17, Aztec Camera, The Style Council, Gene, and much, much more. Head over to Tim's Twitter listening party.com for the schedule. What a cool way to keep people connected through the power of music. Welcome back to the Only Three Lads podcast, where we take a look at the golden age of alternative music. If you've been here before, once again, thank you for coming back. If this is your first time here, please go to our Facebook page. Like us so you know when we have new episodes coming up. We also want to hear what you think and maybe hear a list of yours from one of our topics. I'm Uncle Greg. We have Brett Vargo and we have Bueno, and we're counting down our top five live classic alternative albums. I think that mine has already been outed, but you yes. guys. Yes. Yes. I'm guys. still kicking. They don't All know right. mine yet, so wait till they hear it. All right. Well, Brett, let's hear your number one. All right. Well, my number one is an album recorded in Japan and initially intended to be released exclusively there until the demand for import copies became too strong. You guys have any guesses? No, I do not. <laughs> All right. Well, it is rightfully regarded as one of the finest live records ever, and that is Cheap Trick at Budokan in yes. 1978. Recorded over two nights in April 1978 for an audience of screaming Japanese fans, this is the album that would launch Cheap Trick temporarily into the stratosphere, hitting number four in the U.S., and going triple platinum. Cheap Trick's first three studio albums are indisputable classics in my book, loaded with the pop song craft of their idols The Move and The Beatles, and filtered through the in-your-face edge of punk and hard rock. But as great as those albums are, live they became amped up beasts, manic, jumping, screaming, pit-throwing madmen, setting all switches to hyperdrive, and in the process putting most of the studio versions to shame. A perfect example is the big hit from this record, I Want You To Want Me, of course. The studio version from my personal favorite Trick album, In Color, is a polite, bouncy stab of AM radio-friendly pop, but on stage, it is elevated to the rocking sing-along anthem that it is now known as, thanks to this very live version. So the original 42-minute single album distillation of these shows is a perfectly fine way to listen, but it is a bit lopsided. Six of the ten songs come from In Color, with only Surrender off of Heaven Tonight, and then three songs that were heretofore unreleased. So I'm actually going to recommend the complete At Budokan that was released in 1998 for the album's 20th anniversary. 
Not only does it restore the set list to its original order, but it presents a nice cross-section of material from all three albums, along with a couple of songs that would end up on their next two studio albums, and of course their hit cover of Ain't That a Shame. At Budokan captures Cheap Trick at the absolute peak of their powers, and if you haven't taken the opportunity to see them at any point during their long career, please do so, as they continue to be a compelling and highly entertaining live act. So in either its original 1978 incarnation or its expanded 1998 version, Cheap Trick at Budokan is an absolute must-have and is my number one live album of the O3L era. Great one. I like the 78 version. It's a monster. Yeah. 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 Well, Surrender was my favorite song. Ain't that Cheap a shame. Trick at- oh, yeah. Surrender is one of my, that's another one that I consider to be like a perfect song. One of my favorite yes. songs ever. That's a great one. Teenage Yanks, the whole thing. <laughs> yep. All right, Bruno, what's your number one? All right. Well, before I get to my number one, I got a shout out here for uh, Adrian. It's his birthday today. It's uh, April 19th. Happy birthday, Happy birthday, Adrian. And then last night I was actually watching uh, Richard Blade online for his Facebook thing between him and uh, Krista. They were there and, and he actually spilled his top five all-time bands last night at uh, April 18th. So you guys have a guess what his number one band is? Depeche Mode. That's number one. Number two? Clash. Uh, The Smiths. Nope. Cure. Number three, New Order. Number four, The Smiths. And number five, Duran Duran. So uh, that's his top five. And I told him I was going to say it on our podcast. Well, there you go, Richard. It's a pretty solid list. I would say so. Good job, Mr. Blade. Yes, sir. Very pop heavy. Yep. So my number one was actually uh, recorded... Halloween night, 1995. Any guesses? Uh, double live album. and uh, uh, Tiny home Tim. Video re- oh, yeah. Home video released by American New Wave band Oingo Boingo. I was just going to say Oingo Boingo. I was going to yes, say sir. that. Yeah. So that's my number one. And uh, that was released uh, April 16th, 1996. The band played a series of five nights uh, ending on Halloween, Halloween night. Uh, playing more than 44 songs during the four-hour four set that went way past midnight. And, and all their live shows, the set list included songs from across the bands, large you know, records, and uh, many of them were given new arrangements. And yes, I was there Halloween night. Uh, plus, I saw Mr. Blade there that night, and I danced all night. And Uncle Greg, uh, no weird science that night, the night I was there. Thank so, Aw, bummer. Uh, I know. So several of the tracks on the CD uh, release were recordings from previous nights on the same tour, meeting the performances uh, occasionally differed between formats. Just Another Day, Nothing to Fear were also included as bonus tracks on the double cassette release. Ain't This the Life is my favorite, and uh, you get a double CD, an hour and 45 minutes of 30 great Boingo songs. You don't have this one, you need to play it nonstop all the way through. Don't bounce. 
incredible. That's my number one, Oingo Boingo Farewell, live from the Universal Amphitheater, Halloween 1995. All right. Yeah. That's a that's great one. That's an appropriate show. Fun show. See, I, again, if we had time machines, that's one show I'd like to go to. Uh, yeah, I didn't sit all night. I it bet. was fun. Well, we're up to my number one. You guys guessed it when I was at number four or maybe three of the top five live classic alternative albums. My number one is Pixies, of course, live at Vedenburg. Am I saying that correct? Anybody uh-huh. from the Netherlands around here? I think that sounds right. We'll, we'll take it. Sure. All we'll right. Close it. enough. Well, of course, this is a live album, but it was part of a Pixies best of compilation. Debt to the Pixies came out in October 1997, uh, and this was recorded. The live album part of it, the double album, was recorded in September of 1990, right when the band started really having some serious problems. I've been watching the videos from this on YouTube, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but sometimes you see Black Francis look over at Kim Deal with just disgust in his eyes. But maybe he was looking at a roadie who was in the way. I don't know. But it just seems like, you know, this is where I we know the history of the band now and the problems that they've had and continue to have and uh so maybe i read too much into it but gosh this is such a great live recording of course it's very surfer rosa and do little heavy just awesome uh you know this is really one of the few and really the only authorized prime era live recording of the pixies solid performance but make sure if you're going to look for death of the pixies album or cd make sure you find the double album version to find this masterpiece My number one of the top five live classic alternative albums, Pixies, live at Fredenberg. Yeah. So cool. Death to the Pixies is a great comp as is, but obviously that makes it worth the price of admission. Yeah, because like watching it on YouTube, like I said, you just hear these songs and gosh, they were just boom and everyone was going nuts. It's just what it's like, again, time machine. I'd want to go there. Hang out with the Pixies. We're going to have to come up with our top five time machine wannabes to go back to one of these days. That would be good. Add that to the randomizer. There you go. Yeah, put it in there. Well, you know, it's like, remember Quantum Leap, that TV show? Yeah. I was obsessed with that show. Um, If I would want to come back, I wouldn't want to be bouncing around. But if you could do something like that, that would be totally cool. So, guys, let's count down. Uh, Brett, let's hear your list one more time. All right. So my number five was Talking Heads. The name of this band is Talking Heads. Number four, Elvis Costello, live at the El Mocambo. Number three, Ramones, It's Alive. Number two, The Jam, Dig the New Breed. And number one, Cheap Trick at Budokan. Bueno. My number five, Duran Duran Arena. Number four, David Bowie, David Live. Number three, Talk Talk, London 1986. Number two, Crossover with Brett, the Ramones, It's Alive. And number one, Oingo Boingo's Farewell Tour from Halloween Universal Amphitheater, 1995. All right. Well, my number five, 10,000 Maniacs, MTV Unplugged. My number four, Nirvana, MTV Unplugged. That came out in 1993. My number three album of the top five live classic alternative albums, U2, Under a Blood Red Sky. Number two, The Cure Show. That's a great one. 
And then my number one Pixies live at the Vredenberg. So there you have it. Our All top five. List. I think you guys had really solid list. I'm very excited. I'm going to have to listen to that, to that Oingo Boingo. And of course, I'm going to have to listen to the Talk Talk stuff too. I think as soon as we get done. All here. great stuff. Once again, guys. All right. Fantastic. Well, Brett, fire up that randomizer. Let's see what topic we're getting to next. Here we go. Whammies. Let's get whammies. You want whammies? Uh, whammies. You want whammies? Uh, I don't know. Whammies. Okay. K-pop albums. That would be a whammy. Yeah. That would be a definite whammy. All right. Oh, we're going back, 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 back in the time machine. The top five songs of 1975. Top five songs? Top five songs of 1975. Z is for cookie. That's good enough for me. That's what I was listening to at that time. But I'm not going to pick that one. I'm going to have to go back and I'm going to have to do some research. Yep. I was 16, so I I know my songs right now. (laughs) Yes. Prime time for Bueno. Yes, sir. And Brett, were you still in your father's testicles or were you actually I was, born? I was not. I was, <laughs> I, I was, I was out of the womb. Oh, good. But, okay. but well, that's a very like... disturbing uh, thought anyway. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Sorry, I cut I, that one out or what? <laughs> no, I, I have a way of saying things. I don't know. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't. <laughs> but I was a wee lad in diapers. Yes. All right, so our next topic, the top five songs of 1975 here on the Only Three Lads podcast. If you have your top five of live classic alternative albums, get to the Facebook page, like us so that you know when a new episode's coming up. want to thank everyone for joining us this week. Do you guys have anything else to say? Is it live or is it O3L? I think it's O3L. I think it's O3L. How about you, Uncle Greg? Uh, I'll say O3L, absolutely. Okay. That's I'll a good say choice. 03L and definitely be bueno, guys. The theme music is Frequency, written and performed by yours truly, Brett Vargo. Any other music in this episode is presented solely for purposes of review, examination, and news reporting. If you like what you hear, go to your record store and pick up the LP, CD, cassette, or 8-track, or stream it if you're one of those newfangled fancy pants. If we're lucky enough to still have these artists with us, go out and see some live music. For the latest updates, join the O3L community at facebook.com slash only3lads. We want to hear from you. And while you're at it, click on the Shop Now link for the coolest threads. Until next time, thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. 
Pantheon.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.